Well, grab your Bible and find your place, if you will, in Luke chapter 19. As you are turning there, I'm going to make a plug for this coming weekend with our parenting conference. If you look in your bulletin on the back side of it, you'll see a little uh, uh, picture about it. So our parenting conference that uh, we've been promoting for a number of weeks now is upon us. And so it'll be Friday evening. We'll have dinner that evening. We'll have two main sessions. Then it'll be Saturday morning. We'll begin at 830, a little continental breakfast. Uh, two main sessions with breakouts, two breakouts in between. You'll be able to pick from one of two breakouts. Those breakouts will be led by uh, Brian Holt and Rebecca Holt. Uh, he pastors a Mayest Church here in Powhatan. Uh, our two churches do stuff together. Our student ministries do stuff together regularly. And uh, Brian's become a good friend of mine. And then the other breakout will be led by Ronnie and Tina West. That's Pastor Nate's parents. Um, Ronnie is the small groups pastor over at the Heights Church in Chester. He's been there, I think, three decades or so. So he's, he's seniored in the area of ministry, and he, he and his wife have raised a great family, and so they will be sharing. They'll be teaching on connecting while cor correcting, connecting while correcting, and then the Holtz will be talking about how to lead by example. The whole theme for the whole weekend is um, creating imitators of God. And so we'll be looking at Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. What does that look like in the home? What does that look like for parents to imitate the Lord and to raise children that look like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have not signed up yet, you need to do that today. Uh, we are notorious as a church for signing up after the deadline. So I know some of you sitting here, you're thinking, I got plenty of time. I got till tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday at five o'clock. Please don't do that. We'd love for you to get signed up today at worst tomorrow so that we can prepare and have things ready. But it's going to be a great weekend. It's super cheap. I mean, 25 bucks, that's pretty much covering your food and the rest is on on the church. And so it's going to be a great weekend. Come join us for that. My good friends, Keith and Jackie Harmon, will be leading the weekend. Uh, they were with us two different times in the past doing marriage conference for us and, uh, in 2019 and 2020. So if you're fairly new here, you've never met them, but they are down-to-earth people and they will bless you this coming weekend. So that's the plug for the parenting conference. I hope to see you on Friday evening for the beginning of that. If you can't come Friday, but you can come Saturday morning, then come Saturday morning. And then on Sunday morning, the preaching, I will preach on parenting. And then uh, our adult small groups, maybe without, with the exception of our senior adults, we will have a combined uh, small group time right here in this room. And uh, my friends will be leading that, that time with us. Luke chapter 19, this morning we're going to talk about what it means, what it looks like to be transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're a history buff or not, but surely you know something about Christopher Columbus, and you know that he sailed from Spain over to find new land, a new world in 1492. And so history tells us that when Christopher Columbus was sailing those three ships over, the Ninta, Pinta, and the Santa Ana Maria, over from there to what they thought would be a new world, and it became a new world, uh, history tells us that Christopher Columbus kept two logbooks, one of which contained falsified information. So it seems that Christopher Columbus was more concerned about the morale of his crew than he was about the integrity of he is the captain. Well, as we look here in the Gospel of Luke, we are seeing that the Lord Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, as he's journeying with his disciples, he was concerned and he was intentional about making sure that his disciples knew where they were and where they were headed. He wanted to know, them to know where they were on the journey. 
Sadly, those disciples many times missed it. We've already seen multiple times in our walk through these first 18 chapters of Luke's gospel that Jesus would pull them aside and tell them from time to time what was happening or what was about to happen. And almost in every situation, it just went past them. They looked at him with glazed eyes. They, they could not grasp or conceive the idea of the Messiah suffering and dying as, if, as Jesus had been telling them he would. Instead, these disciples, like many of the Jews in that day, were seeking a Messiah who would go into Jerusalem and relieve Israel from the Roman oppression and bondage that they were in. And then there were others who just simply followed and tagged along with Jesus because they were looking and watching and interested in the next miracle that he would perform. Well, there was broad, because of that, there was broad speculation during this time of who Jesus was and what Jesus was there to do. Many people thought him to be a teacher. Many thought him to be a miracle worker. Some thought him to truly be the Messiah. But even in that, they were mistaken in what that looked like and what that would be like. Yet Jesus was never unclear. He never did not know what his role was and what he was to do and what he came to do. I believe that as Luke is writing his gospel... Because of the speculation that he experienced, and even in his life, being a, not a disciple during those three years of ministry, but hearing the stories and then seeing and hearing people misunderstand the gospel, misunderstanding Jesus, I'm sure as he wrote this gospel, wondered how many of those who are reading it, like you and I are, would question the role and the abilities of Jesus and, and just speculate on what his role was to be and how it would transpire and how it would play itself out. And so as we get here to chapter 19, this good doctor begins to focus on settling this speculation. Over the next few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to see how Jesus is the Savior who seeks the lost. That will, that's what we'll look at this morning. Then we're going to see he, Jesus as the master who rewards his faithful subjects. And then we will see that Jesus is the king who offers peace to those who are in opposition to the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about transform. I want to talk to you about how Jesus as Savior seeks those who are lost. And we're going to be looking at this famous story of a man named Zacchaeus. And we're going to see here that Jesus is truly the one who seeks out and saves the lost. He rescues people who are far from God. So if you got your place there, let's begin reading in verse 1. Everybody got your Bibles? Still, after all these years of smartphones, I've not yet gotten used to the fact that you don't hear the pages turning like you used to do 15 years ago. But let's begin reading. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So we ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the crowd, the people with Jesus, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
the lost. We see a transformation take place here in these short ten verses. The transformation takes place in, a, in the life of a man named Zacchaeus. His name means righteous one. But as you read through the text, you see that he is not a righteous one. Now, we know, because we're good biblical scholars, that Paul says that there is no one righteous. No, not one. And so we understand that there's not a righteous person on the earth outside of those who've been made righteous in Jesus Christ. But here, just looking at the text itself, knowing that this man named Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he's rich, he's obviously not a righteous man. But the Bible gives us more than that. It tells us that he's a chief tax collector. That means he's at the top of the pyramid, and he's got other tax collectors underneath him. And we've talked about what a tax collector is in previous weeks. We know that these men were, were Jewish men. We knew that they were part of the, the Roman uh, system of taxing their subjects. And so they were Jewish people, Hebrew men, who were at... The, in the system and using the system for their own gain to pay Rome the taxes that they levied upon this area of their empire. And so the Jewish people looked at every tax collector and saw them as a religious as well as a political traitor. They were the scum of the scum. They were rejected. They were anything but righteous in the eyes of a good Jew. These tax collectors or publicans, as they are sometimes referred to in Scripture, were nothing more than renegades in the eyes of Jesus. They were as far from God as you could possibly be. And yet what we see here in this text, in this story, in this situation, is that tax collectors, like Zacchaeus, were precious in the eyes of Jesus. And they're never outside the reach of the Lord's transforming grace. And yet this traitor to his own name, this traitor to his own creation, was gloriously transformed by Jesus. And so it's here that it's crucial that we recognize that it was Jesus whom Zacchaeus sought. He, he was seeking after G Jesus. He understood that whatever was missing from his life, that it was only Jesus who could fill that. It was nothing else. It was not a friend. It was not a relationship. It was not more money. It was not more fame or prominence. It was none of those things. Health and religion and wealth and prominence could never fill the, the deep hole in his heart. It, it never could fill that recess that he had there in his life. But Jesus could. Or at least he thought Jesus might be able to. So he's seeking, he's looking, he's longing, he's trying to understand who this Jesus is. And it's here that we need to clue in ourselves and understand that when we chase the things of the world, that they will never fill us, that they'll never satisfy us, that they'll never give us that sense of belonging and purpose that we so desperately want in our lives. But Jesus can. There's nothing wrong with going to a psychiatrist, but if we go to a psychiatrist or a counselor, they're always gonna, only going to help us to adjust ourselves as a sinner. There's nothing wrong with looking to a doctor, but that doctor is only going to help us to be a more healthy sinner. There's nothing wrong with religion, but religion will only make us a religious sinner. There's nothing wrong with money. But money will only make us a wealthy sinner. But when we come to Jesus and we look to Jesus and we call on Jesus, then he transforms us as a sinner into a saint. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we become new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. And so this beautiful and this glorious transformation of Zacchaeus has telling connections to everything that we've been looking at in the Gospel of Luke in these previous chapters. For instance, if we were to just go back into the chapter 18 that we were just in last week and the week before and you would see there 
that in the latter part of that chapter, Jesus is coming in or moving toward the city of Jericho, and he meets this blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is setting out on the road, and he hears that Jesus is coming. He's poor, he's blind physically, but in that moment when he meets Jesus and calls upon Jesus and responds to Jesus, he is given sight. And then we read the story of Zacchaeus, and we see that Zacchaeus is lost in his wealth, he's lost in his corruption, but he's a man that is found by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given the ability to see spiritually. We were to go back just a little bit further, and we would look at that passage of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he goes through the gospel with him. What we see there is a man who chose his wealth over the spiritual wealth that was offered to him in Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes a statement there. He says how, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle his disciples hear this and they say, well, then who can be saved? If he can't be saved with all of his prominence and, and all of his advantages as a rich man, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what we see here is the impossibility of a tax collector, the chief of chief of chief sinners, coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, his life being transformed as we've read here in this text. With God, all things are possible. Sometimes we look at situations and we look at people and we look maybe even at our own lives and we just don't believe that God would receive us and that God would welcome us or God would call us to himself. We many times are just like these Jewish people, even the Lord's disciples in this moment. I mean, if they were looking at Zacchaeus and who he was as a chief tax collector, as a rich man, they, if they were going to Vegas to the Super Bowl today, they would have put odds on who's going to enter the kingdom of God. And at best, Zacchaeus would have got a million to one odds. It's impossible for that man to go into the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are possible. And there's coming a day where we'll be able to sit down and have a glass of sweet tea or a cup of coffee with Zacchaeus and be able to talk about this moment right here that we're reading about in Luke chapter 19. I want you to look at verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's one of those verses we like to point to. It's one of those verses that we like to hold on to in our lives. Why? Because it helps us understand that that's what the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is on a mission to save people's lives. He's on a mission to seek out sinners. He's on a mission to seek you out. You see, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he was on a mission to seek you. He was on a mission to find you. I remember back when I was a freshman in college. I was a religious kid. You know my testimony. I walked with the Lord. I thought I was walking with the Lord. I was reading my Bible all the time. I was in church all the time. Leader in the student ministry in high school. I graduated from a Christian high school. I had everything at my advantage, but I was lost in my sin. But the good news of that is Jesus was trailing me. He was hounds of heaven were on my trail, and he found me there, and he called me to himself just like this. That is what the Lord Jesus is doing, seeking out and rescuing people who are far from God. That's his mission. It was his mission then, and it's his mission today. So this story of Zacchaeus tells us that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. You see, Jesus can, Jesus wants to, and Jesus will transform the lives of far-from-God people if they will but believe on him. 
And this transformation begins with Jesus. There's three truths I want to tell you or share with you about that this morning. Three truths for us to see about Jesus. Here's the first one. Jesus sees you where you are. Now, that's good news, ain't it? Jesus sees you where you are. But if you're in a lot of sin today, you probably don't want him to see you in that, right? You want, you want to cover it up? You, you want to make yourself look good? You, you want to give a facade and, and kind of put blinders on the eyes of Jesus? But I want you to know today that he sees you where you are in all of that ugliness because he sees Zacchaeus. The Bible tells us he was a chief tax collector, that he was a wealthy man. So his despicable occupation speaks of his wicked and shameful heart. He's a chief of tax collectors. But he's also rich, which speaks of the hopelessness of his spiritual condition. He was lost. How could a rich man enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He is hopeless, but Jesus. He's cut off. But Jesus, he's condemned, but Jesus. It's that beautiful verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where it tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy. That's what's taking place here. Zacchaeus is having an encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus sees where he is. So let's put ourselves in the story this morning. You with me? You with me? All right. All right. You're with me this morning. Let's get into the story. Jesus here is entering this city of Jericho. Remember, this is where he's been headed. He's headed to Jerusalem. And so he has entered the city of Jericho, which lies to the east of the city of Jerusalem. It's down the mountain. It's close to the Jordan River. It's close to the, that wadi area of eastern Palestine today. And so that is a gateway city into the area of the seven peaks known as Jerusalem. Jesus has entered the city. And he's passing through the city. And as he's doing this, people are coming to him. We looked at it last week as he's coming to the city. He has a crowd. Bartimaeus hears the rumble. So now he's in the city, and the people are coming to him. They're flocking all around him by the hundreds, if not by the thousands. And so this crowd size is making it difficult for people to see the Lord unless they're in the front row or if they're up close to him or possibly on top of a building or if they have the advantage of being taller than others. Well, Zacchaeus does not have that advantage. Luke tells us that he is small in stature. That's nice language for he's a shorty, right? He's a short little dude. He's five foot at best, probably. He can't see over the crowd. He can't see around the crowd. He's an outcast, so no one's going to give him the advantage of getting to the front. Instead, he is pushed to the back, so he decides to run ahead of the crowd and to climb a tree to take a look at Jesus. And when Jesus makes his way to where Zacchaeus is, Jesus looks up at him. I want you to picture this with me. Jesus has a crowd around him. This is an Eastern culture. This is not a Western culture. It's definitely not an American culture. We like to keep people out of our personal space. There is no personal space in most of the places around the world. You only have people right up on you, right? You know, we would love to have a, 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 a buffer zone everywhere we go. We want that buffer zone when we're on an airplane, amen? I mean, you, you know, if you, say, if you fly at, at all, and it's a 3-3 three, three, or 3-4-3 three, three, or 3-3 three, three type of configuration in the seating, we never want somebody in the middle seat. I never want someone in the middle seat, especially someone that's like much larger than me because I need elbow space. So I, I just don't want that around me. When I'm on a train going somewhere, a bus going somewhere, it doesn't matter. I want my personal space, but there's no personal space in this culture. And so Jesus has people all around him, pressing up close. 
And yet as he gets to where Zacchaeus is, with all of those hundreds if not thousands of people around him, he sees the tax collector. He looks up in the tree. We should not pass by this and not catch the significance of this. Here's a man who is steeped in sin. Here's a man who is an outcast. Here's a man who's rejected. Here's a man who's probably trying to hide from Jesus himself. Remember, he just wants to see Jesus. He wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He wants to understand something about Jesus. But he's a tax collector. He's a prominent person. Everybody knows him. So he's probably hiding even while he's in the tree and yet Jesus locks his eyes upon Zacchaeus and sees him where he is today I I want you to know this morning in very similar manner Jesus sees you where you are it doesn't matter whether or not people can or whether or not people want to see you or pay attention to you or know you Jesus sees you and Jesus knows you he sees the sin in your life he sees the shame in your life he sees the predicament of your life he sees your vain attempts at putting on a good front and to manufacture purpose and to create a sense of fulfillment in your life he sees the spiritual facade and the thing the ways that you try to project yourself he sees that and he sees through that He sees your rebellion, and despite all of those attempts to keep Jesus at a distance, he sees you and knows you where you are. There's a second truth. Jesus meets you where you are. Not only does he see you where you are, but he comes to meet you where you are. Zacchaeus here is in a sycamore tree. These are beautiful trees over there in that area of the world. They're they're sturdy. They're fairly tall. They grow to about 40 feet high, but they have short trunks, meaning that their limbs don't start way up in the tree. They start pretty close to the base of the tree, and they're wide, so they're low-hanging. And you can get up and climb into those trees, and that is where Zacchaeus is. He's ran ahead of the crowd. He climbed up into a sycamore tree, and he's there probably. This is the way I picture him. He's up probably off the first two or three levels of limbs and he's up high to get up away from everybody and if he's like me he's probably hiding behind the trunk just peeking around it and Jesus sees him and Jesus looks up there and Jesus begins to engage him right where he was standing in this tree hiding from the Lord and hiding from the crowd simply satisfied to get a personal view of the Lord Jesus from afar but Jesus wanted more And so Jesus met Zacchaeus right where he was. He met him in his sin. He met him in his shame. He met him in his seeking. Here's what Jesus did not do. He doesn't command him to clean his life up before he comes to where he is. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to stop being a tax collector. Zacchaeus, you need to give your money to the poor. Zacchaeus, you need to change your life and look better and get in better relationships with the people around you. And then I'll come meet you. That's not what Jesus does at all. He meets him right where he is. He sees him, and he goes to him where he was. And he does the same thing for you and I. He meets you in the midst of your brokenness. It says, rather than shaking his head and walking away in disappointment like we would do for ourselves or for others, Jesus embraces and walks toward us in our sin. He invades that space. That leads us to a third point, a third truth today. Jesus calls you to leave you where you are. I'm grateful today that he sees me in my sin, he meets me in my sin, but I am doubly grateful that he doesn't leave me in my sin. You see, Jesus called Zacchaeus to leave where he was and to come down. To come down, leave where he was and to come down and to be with Jesus. Inviting him into relationship with himself. 
This is nothing more than a personal invitation to leave a life of sin and shame and to embrace a new life of righteousness and forgiveness and acceptance in Christ. This is the purpose of the gospel. This is the purpose of this encounter. You see, Jesus did not come to Jericho this day simply because it was the city on the way to Jerusalem. Yes, logistically, it works itself out that way. But we've already seen in Bartimaeus, he came through Jericho because there's a blind man sitting on the side of the road that needed to meet a savior. There's a blind man that was an outcast in his own society that really that doesn't even matter. This man is dead in his sins and Jesus needed to meet his life. And on top of that, there's a chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus that's in that city who God is prompting and wooing and drawing and his heart is tender. And Jesus came to the city to meet him. Just like Jesus came to meet you in your sin and your brokenness. And can you think back, if you're a Christian today, can you remember how, how you felt and the circumstances in your life? And Jesus was there. He saw you. He met you. And he called you out of that. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's on mission. Remember, verse 10, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save Bartimaeus. He came to seek and save Zacchaeus. That's what he did. Today, Jesus calls sinners to leave where they are and to come to him. This morning, if you've never answered that call, if you're sitting in this room today, that you've never answered that call, that's the invitation for you this morning. Jesus is calling you to leave your life of sin and to leave your life of shame and to come to him. If you're watching this online today, that is the invitation to you, that you would leave your life of sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling you to leave sin and shame and embrace his offer of forgiveness this transformation begins with jesus salvation is always a work of the lord in our life but here's what we need to not forget it's coupled with some action on our part not works right for you you're saved by grace not by works that's what paul says in ephesians chapter 2 by grace we've been saved so it's, a, it's grace, it's mercy, it's the Lord acting on our behalf, it's his redemptive act on the cross, it's his blood that was shed, it's his body that was bruised, it's his resurrection, all of those things, but that's coupled with our action, it's coupled with our obedience to his call on our life. So let me share with you three things that we see in Zacchaeus and how he responded, and there are three things that we need to do, three things that you need to do today. If you've never put your faith and hope in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number one, you must position yourself to see Jesus. You must position yourself to see Jesus. Now, when you think through the scenario here and the, the story and, and what's going on behind the scenes, we, we don't know the full story. We don't know the full picture of what was happening and transpiring in, in his heart. Well, what is it that leads Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, this prominent man, this man who had anything and everything he ever wanted or needed. It was at his disposal. He had the resources to make it happen. So why is this man on this day looking to Jesus? Could it be that he had found that his wealth and his prominence and privilege were not enough? They weren't satisfying anymore? You know, he, he seeks all the pleasures the world has to offer, but for some reason, they're no longer meeting his needs. They're no longer feeling like they last like they once did, and, and so he's left longing for something greater and better and, and more significant. Could it be that as an outcast in his own society, as a Jewish man who's robbing his Jewish brethren, that he's tired of that lifestyle, and, and so he's wanting to get out of it? 
He's heard about Levi, and he's heard about the transformation in Levi's life. His colleague that was a tax collector is now walking with Jesus and learning from Jesus. We don't know the scenario. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes. We don't know the circumstances that motivated Zacchaeus to seek this change. But i got to believe he surely had heard of Jesus. Remember Bartimaeus, when he's told Jesus is coming, Jesus of Nazareth is coming, he immediately, when Jesus gets close enough, he begins to call out Jesus, son of David. So Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. He had heard the stories of Jesus. So we're left to believe that Zacchaeus, too, had heard the stories of Jesus. He probably had met some tax collectors that had been changed. Maybe it's those tax collectors, if he doesn't know Levi, maybe he knows those tax collectors who were invited to that dinner that Levi threw for Jesus. He's heard the stories, seen the transformation, and he wonders, could Jesus be the one that could meet the need in my life? That this longing that I feel, is Jesus the one who can take that away and give me a sense of wholeness that I long for? And so he's seeking, he's positioning himself to see Jesus. Unfortunately, he's a small guy. He's a small stature, he's a shorty, and so he could not see through the crowd, he could not see over the crowd, he could not see around the crowd, so he runs ahead of the crowd, he gets up into a tree, and Luke here in verse 4 gives us this information which is significant, because in this eastern culture, it was very unusual, it was almost taboo for an adult male, much less an adult male who was a prominent person in the community, to ever run. It was undignified to do so. And then if you add on top of that, this picture of this man running to a tree and then climbing that is childlike children run through streets children climb trees adult men do not do that and wealthy adult men definitely don't do that but here we have a man who doesn't care what others say he doesn't care about what others will say about him instead he's running down the street like a little boy following a parade he's climbing up to see the event because curiosity has got a hold of him He positions himself to see Jesus. Today, if you want your life to be transformed, then you have to position yourself to see him. And so how do you do that? Two simple things. And there's many more, but just two simple things. To position yourself to see Jesus, you got to look for him in the scriptures. You got to read the scriptures. You got to search them because on every page and in every book of the 66 books in this canon of scripture, you will find Jesus Christ. It all is a story about him. It's all one big meta-narrative that points to the cross and points to a tomb and points to a resurrection. It points to him as king of kings. So we need to look to the scriptures. That's how we position ourselves to see Jesus and to engage in his gospel. I remember the day when I came to know the Lord. You see, that morning, there, there was an emptiness in my life. There had been. I was trying to figure out how and to find a way to make religion and spirituality turn into salvation for me. And I remember that morning reading in my quiet time out of 1 John chapter 5. And there in verse 12 it says, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. It's S-O-N, not S-U-N. In other words, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And that word resonated with me all morning long. It was a Thursday. I remember because on Thursdays I worked all day. I did not go to class. And so I'm there at work. I'm in the... Uh, the warehouse where I worked, and that verse is reverberating within my heart, bringing me under deeper and deeper conviction until I couldn't do anything else but give my heart to Jesus. What did I do in that moment? I positioned myself to see Jesus through his word. Here's the second way. Gather with the church. 
That's why you're here this morning, is together with the church. And as we put ourselves in the presence of other believers and set under the teaching of the Word of God, you are positioning yourself to see Jesus. That's why I encourage you all the time that if you are, well, we encourage you to share the gospel with others, but if you'll at least invite them to come to church with you, you're helping to position people to see Jesus Christ. Because every time we gather as a church, we look into the Word of God, and we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we call for a response. Amen? Amen. We want to position ourselves to see Jesus. i got three minutes left. No, I have seven minutes and 47 seconds left, according to the timer. Amen for that. Let's go to second action, because I was not going to be done in three minutes. You need to ready yourself to hear Jesus. So Zacchaeus positioned himself to see Jesus. And secondly, we see that he readied himself to hear Jesus, and that's what we got to do. Zacchaeus heard Jesus' voice from up there in that tree. I don't think he was on that bottom, and it really doesn't matter which limb he was on, because here's what's going on. There's a big crowd coming through the streets. There's a lot of noise. There's kids running and laughing and shouting. There's people talking. It's just a roar, right? It's like being uh, in a crowd. But if you think about being in a restaurant, I'm getting to that age when I'm in big rooms or, or uh, rooms that have a lot of people in them. I just hear the noise, right? I've had my ears checked, and they say your, your ears are fine, but they're not fine because I just hear the noise. And so i got to look at people's lips. Well, that really sounds old, doesn't it? I don't even like saying that. Amen. <sighs> I'm going to go home and be depressed the rest of the afternoon. I wear readers to read. My hair is falling out. And now I can't hear, but I'm getting a glorious body one day. That's another sermon. So when you're in a restaurant or a room like that, and you just hear the noise, that's probably what's going on here. So you've got all these things going on. You've got goats bleeding and, and chickens crowing and, and just different things happening. And here's Zacchaeus way up in the tree, and he hears Jesus call his name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Here's a sinner who hears Jesus' voice, hears him, call him to himself, and he came down. He's hiding in the tree. He's trying not to be seen, but he's listening. He's open. He's available, and he hears the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Zacchaeus readied himself to hear this voice. And I wonder this morning, has there been a time in your life where you've prepared yourself, you've readied yourself to hear the voice of the Lord calling you into salvation? You have ears to hear. There's a third action. We must posture ourselves in repentance to Jesus. So you personally have got to posture yourself in repentance to Jesus. After positioning himself to see, after readying himself to hear, now he's posturing himself to repent of his sins. Luke tells, him, tells us that he, Jesus says, hurry and come down. If you've, it's probably been a long time since you've climbed a tree for most of us in this room. When I climb trees now, I'm in a stand, and so it's different, um, hunting. And so, And I'm not jumping out of that, by the way. But when you are in up in a tree, what's the quickest way to get out of a tree? Someone said fall the last time. No, we're not falling out of a tree. It doesn't fall out of the tree in the story. That, that is the quickest way to get out of a tree, yes, but that's also the quickest way to go to the ER. We don't want to do that. So the quickest way to get out of a tree, from my perspective, is you jump out, right? You get to a safe space that you can jump, maybe eight. I don't know if you're good, 10 feet, right? Or you hug the trunk and you slide down from that last limb. 
Now, if you're an adult male who's already ran through the streets, which is taboo, and, and you've climbed a tree, which is taboo, what do you think is also taboo in a culture like this? Jumping out of a tree, sliding down. It's undignified. And so what I think we need to see here in these words, in this description, is humility. Zacchaeus has positioned himself to see. He's positioned himself to hear. Now he's positioning himself to repent. And it takes humility to repent of sin. I don't care what people say. I don't care what the crowd's thinking. I don't care what's going through their mind. I don't care what people will say about me. Here's a man in his mind. He's saying, all I care is what Jesus says and thinks about me. So he hurries and come down. And he takes Jesus to his home. And he opens up his home. And he creates dinner and lunch and dinner for them. And he puts them up for the night. And so he has positioned himself, or postured himself, I should say, to repent of his sin. And so at some point during that lunch or evening, as he and his family and maybe other tax collectors are sitting around and sharing a meal and Jesus is teaching on the kingdom and he's listening to all this, at some point during that, Zacchaeus' heart is broken over his sin. He sees himself as Jesus sees him, undone, wicked, unrighteous, under judgment condemned, separated, but loved and can be forgiven and accepted, wanted. That's just a few of the things. But he begins to see himself as Jesus sees him. And so in this moment, there's a conversion that takes place. That, that what Paul talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that old things have passed. So Zacchaeus' old life ceases to exist, and there's new life that begins. He becomes a resurrected uh, to everlasting life type of person. He's born again in Jesus Christ, and we see that in the statement that he makes. Look what he says in verse 8. He stands up and says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus is not accepting this man because he makes a promise to give money to the poor or makes a promise to restore justice to those that he's stolen from. That is not what Jesus is doing here. He's not making a deal. This is not quid pro quo. If I give you something, you give me something in return. That's not what's going on. We never earn our salvation. We never purchase our salvation. It's been purchased on the cross. What we're seeing here is evidence of a man who has been converted, and the transformation is being shown in the way he gives, lives his life. You see, when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the, th the, the hands that we have that were tightly gripped to the things of the world begin to loosen on those things. And we begin to understand that we're not owners of anything, but we're stewards of everything that the Lord has entrusted to us. So we want to be generous. We want to be giving. We want to be a blessing to other people. And that's what's taking place here. We also understand that when we have done something wrong to someone else, we have to make restitution for that. We got to make things right. We got to go to that person and confess, this is what I've done. This is what I've said. This is what I've thought about you. This is the actions I've taken against you. Forgive me that sin. So that's what he's doing here. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, he knows he's done that, but he says, I'll make it good. I'll give them fourfold. Jesus makes a difference in our life. You see, when you meet Jesus, he transforms you. We can't say we're a Christian and we can't think that our pious words and our sincere feelings and, and us going through motions, it really makes us a Christian. That's not what makes us a Christian at all. 
You see, when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that union brings its own transformation, and it will transform you. So if you can't look back and have a track record of this is the way I once lived, this is the way I once thought, this is the way I used to approach life, and now that I met Jesus, it's altogether different, then I would seriously encourage you to question whether or not you're in a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus transforms your life. In every way. The story of Zacchaeus here tells us that no one is beyond the reach of the Lord. That's good news, ain't it? Because you're a despicable person. Aren't you? Yes, we are. But Jesus can and Jesus wants to and Jesus will transform the lives of far from God people into his precious life. Those who will believe on him will be transformed. He meets you where you are because he sees where you are. And then he calls you to where he is. And all we have to do is position ourselves to see, ready ourselves to hear, and posture ourselves to repent. And so if we're going to, if you will, go with me back to that crowd that's on that street, standing around Jesus under that sycamore tree. There's people from all walks of life. They're there for all reasons. Some good, some not so good, some not good at all. Who are you in the crowd? Some of you in this room, you're the disciples. I would put myself in that category. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. It's not always what it ought to be. It's not always what I wish it were, but I'm walking with Jesus. I don't always understand things, but there's a progressive sanctification in my life. That is a good place to believe. That, that's the place of all Christians. That's where we are until Jesus returns. That's a good place to be. Some of you in this room or online this morning, you're in that crowd and you're just kind of going through motions. You're here to, to see something special or something neat, and you're just kind of following along with someone else. You need today to have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and a heart that can receive the gospel in your life. Others are the hecklers in the crowd. Hopefully you're not here like that, but there could be some hecklers in this crowd. And you think about this Jesus thing and this gospel thing, and you think, that's the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Most of the world's like that. Then there's others in this room. You're Zacchaeus in the tree, and Jesus is seeking you today. He sees you in your sin and brokenness. He moves to where you are, not asking you to change right now, not asking you to clean yourself up before you come to him, knowing that he will do that because only he can do that. But he is asking you to repent and to come to him. So which one in the crowd are you today? Let's pray. Father, the story of Zacchaeus is an incredible story. It's the story of every one of us who know Jesus Christ. Because you've seen us, you've meet, met with us, and you've called us to yourself. And we thank you for that. You've transformed us. And Father, I pray you'd help us who know you as Lord and Savior to be as mission-minded with this gospel as you are in our everyday life. With the people we live with, the people we work with, the people we recreate with. Lord, all the circles of influence that you have sovereignly and intentionally placed us in, help us to live that mission out every single day. 
and to point people to Jesus. But Lord, in this room today and watching us are some who need Jesus like Zacchaeus did. And so I pray this morning you would give them faith and the ability to respond to the gospel. Help them to believe that you love them, you care for them, and you've died for them. As we move into a time of invitation, we pray that your Holy Spirit take your word and just make us open this morning. God, I, I ask that question, who are you in the crowd? Right now, I pr pray that you just help us to see who we are and respond appropriately, Father. This is your time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you we trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.